by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Where did I get a title like that? Does anybody know? Oh, there it is! <laughs> On our mission statement. That is a verbal picture of who we're becoming, who we are, how God sees us. And so we like to refer to our mission statement to remind ourselves of what we're doing here. But that's the name of today's message, a warm, fun-loving family, and that's on your sheet if you're following along, want to fill in the blanks with me. But family implies to me that we're, we're doing life together. Isn't that the way you see family, people that you do life with? There's always those that are saved, but no. No, they don't see the church as a family, they see the church as somewhere they go on Sunday and some people that they may say hello to, and they may feel like they're doing God a big favor by clocking in for an hour and a half on, on Sunday. You know, a lot of people see church different ways, but I want to challenge you to open up your eyes today. A lot of people say, well, there's, you know, I'm not kin to any of those people at church. They're not my family. There's no blood between us. When you start talking about family, you hear people say things like blood kin. Blood relatives. Blood is thicker than water, right? You hear those blood terms, and they imply that you're not a family unless you're blood. But I got to thinking about that. I got to thinking about that. Do you know that the great, without a doubt, without a shadow of doubt, the greatest family that ever was was no blood relations? Who are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about the most obvious, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because there was spirit. There's no blood in that. Well, until Jesus became a, a man for our sakes, and then he had blood, but they had no blood. There's no blood relations between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because they are spirit. Then I got to thinking, well, there's another example. What happens... When a uh, man and a woman come together, they, they get married. They're the nucleus of a what? They're the, the beginning of a family. Because me and Angie are not blood kin, does that make us any less a family? If the nucleus of a family, the starting of a family, is not blood relations, how could the family not be a family? You know, our Father in Heaven gives us a, a model of perfection of what a family should look like. You know, it's about the harmony. It's about the doing life together. And they, had, they were such an example to us because they give us a... They, if God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a complete understanding of the uniqueness and the difference in their roles within the family, then that, that's a good lesson for us. But one is not more important than the other. They're all God, right? They're all at the highest. They're all the most high. Not one is more important than the other, but they have differing roles. When the Son was here on the earth, he says, I only do what I see the Father do. 
And so he submitted. And so that's the same way within our families. They had an understanding of their roles. They had a willingness to sacrifice for one another. These are the things that make a family. A perfect love. Uh, unconditional love. Those kind of things make a family. So when, if, if you have a man and a woman, they get married, and they aren't blood kin, they're still family. You know, the man and the woman aren't blood kin unless, you know, they get married in certain parts of the South. <laughs> and I would ask you, if, if blood relations are the most important thing, what are adopted children supposed to do with that? What are stepsons and stepdaughters supposed to do with that? What are stepfathers and stepmothers supposed to do? If no matter how much they contribute to the family, how much love they give, how much they sacrifice, they'll always be an outsider because there's no blood. We see that, in, we see that crushing families today. We see people calling each other, step this and step that. I don't, I don't see, you know, Jesus was raised by a stepdad wasn't he? But I, I don't see him calling him his stepdad. I don't see those terminologies in the Bible. I don't, does anybody remember anybody be called a step anything in the Bible? And if you have, you know, we're living in a society where you're, it's likely as in your family there's some step this or that. Why don't we just stop the nonsense about it has to be blood to be family? And we just say, hey, that's my son or that's my daughter. There ain't no step to it. Ain't no step in between us. That might be, be for somebody right there. How did Jesus answer this same kind of dilemma? Well, in Matthew 12, starting in verse 48, we see Jesus is preaching. He's teaching uh, a group of people, a large group. Everywhere he went, it was just the crowds was, you know, thronging him so much so that his mother and father had to wait out. I mean, his mother and brothers had to wait outside and had to send word to Jesus. Oh, your mother and brothers are out there. They want to see you. They can't get in. So what did Jesus say? In verse 48, he asked, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? That's the question we're here to answer today. And Jesus asked it right there in verse 48. Who are my mother who are my brothers? In other words, who, who's really my family? He was not being disrespectful to his blood, understand, but he's making a point. Then he pointed to his disciples, those who did life with him, those who walked with him. And he said, look, these are my mothers and brothers. This is my family. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, I mean my brother, my sister, and my mother. He's saying, whoever's, whoever's a Christian, whoever's given their heart to, to God and who is following the, the will of my Father has become family to me. A guy named Chris Diaz says, blood makes you related, but loyalty makes you a family. That's true in your family, and that's true in the family of God. Whoever does the will of my Father is my brother and my sister and my mother, and that was out of Jesus' mouth. So it's not just a theory I'm coming up with here. What he says is fact. Uh, family is the reason for all of creation. Think about it. 
Family, what's more important than family? Is there something in your life more important than family? Because family was the reason for all of creation. God, first and foremost, introduced himself as Father. Isn't that how you know? Isn't that how you know him? Abba? He wants you to call him Daddy? He wants to be Father. It's a family term. And his greatest desire is for the family. I wrote, if we can grasp the heart of a loving father who cherishes his family above all else and will at any cost preserve and protect them, then we're just scratching the surface of the way God feels about his family, the church. Uh-oh, I made another big point there. The church is God's family. Are you starting to get it? I love my church, Muff. And what is the church? Just a bunch of strangers? Just a bunch of people that meet on the weekends? Casual acquaintances? I don't think that's the way God intended it. I don't think that's the way God set it up. He, he said he puts you in the body of Christ where you're supposed to be. He don't say get up and go to another church just because you don't like the preaching or the music or the, the way they do the offering or this or that. He don't say just switch families as you see fit. Would you do that to your, your blood family or your natural family? No, you wouldn't. In 1988, there was a terrible earthquake in Armenia. And... Uh, when it was all said and done, over 25,000 people had died. In Armenia, there was a father who had always told his son, he says, son, I'll always be there for you. Remember this, son, no matter what happens, I'm going to be there for you. Of course, after this great earthquake, he rushes to his son's school only to find that it had collapsed. The earthquake had turned it into a, a heap of rubble. And outside the, the heap of rubble, parents are are wailing, oh, my son, oh, my daughter, and they're crying, and they're in despair. And the father gets there, and he, he immediately climbs that pile of rubble, and he starts throwing away chunks of concrete and pulling out iron bars. And, and they're saying, it's no good. Nobody can survive. There's thousands of tons of concrete there. You're wasting your time. Nobody gets up there and helps him, but he's thinking in my heart. He's thinking in his heart. I'll always be there for my son. I'll always be there for my son. So he's up there working tirelessly. Two hours go by, four hours, eight, turns into eight hours. He doesn't get any rest. He doesn't get any uh, sleep. He's got no food or water, but he won't come off the pile. His hands have become bloody stumps, and he's got cuts and bruises, but he's giving it everything he's got. He goes into the night, into the next morning, 24 hours, 28 hours. When he got to the 38th hour, he removed a a big heavy stone, and he heard some noise. And he called out his son's name, Armand! And he heard, Daddy, is that you? Armand, my son! He said, Daddy, I told him if they would just hold on that you would come and because you said you would never leave me, that you would always be there for me. I knew you would come, Daddy. And Armand and his 13 friends came out of that hole. That's a true story. Because that man would not give up on his child. He had said, I will always be there. And when they had a big press conference later to reward him for his act of heroism or whatever that they forced on him, the only thing the old man would say is, I told my son, I would always be there 
for you. And that's still just scratching the surface of how our Heavenly Father feels about His family, the church. I think we've done our understanding of church so wrong here in America. We don't understand how important it is. The church above all else, it's a family. I mean, we have organization, we have ministries, we have our programs, but that's not who we are. It's not why we exist. We exist to be a family. First and foremost, to do the, <laughs> to do the will of the Father. I mean, there's, there's cause and purpose behind everything we do. And family is who we are. Am I making my point here? We worship. We pray together. We grow. We learn. We teach. We serve. We give all these expressions of who we are, but that's not. Individually, that's not who we are. Who we are is a family. Now, every family, you know, has rules or should have rules. Some of us have posted them up on the refrigerator or up on the wall, up on the mirrors, and, you know, trying to get the kids to see the rules. And sometimes try to get the other spouse to see the rules. Every house should have some rules. And in our father's house, he has rules. And I wrote down, uh, Pastor Vickers sent us some information on the church, and I stole most of his stuff. Uh, I don't want to take credit for, give credit where credit's due. It's his idea to have September as I Love My Church Month. And if you didn't know, let me stop and tell you, we're part of a bigger church. We're part of a church family that is another church in Montgomery, Alabama, in Alexander City, Alabama, and we're planting a church currently in Nashville, Tennessee. So you're part of a bigger passion church. And uh, I'm the campus pastor here, but my pastor uh, is Pastor Steve Vickers, for the newer people who don't know that. And he, and, uh, and he, he said these are the way he sees our father's family rules. The we is more important than the me. And that's what we talked about extensively last week. Who we are together is greater than who I am alone. We're just stones individually. But together we come together and make a temple. And in, the, in this house, mercy trumps judgment. That's impor- important to know. Because not a lot of people want to be a part of a family that's just judgmental. That's just picking out your every fault. We want to, which one of us doesn't need mercy? Let him that doesn't need mercy cast the first stone, I guess. We all need mercy, don't we? Man, I need mercy every day. And so we hope in the house of God that we have people full of mercy, God's mercy. And it trumps, it every, it trumps judgment every day. We are a part of the church, and we each have a part. In other words, your part is not just to fill up an empty chair. You have a part to play. You need to recognize that every gift and ability that you have, God has given you, right? Every good and perfect gift has come down from the Father of lights. And the talents, so to speak, as Jesus put it in a parable that he's given you, he, he plans for you to invest into the family. And no matter where you've been or what you've done, this will always be your home. That's good to know. So good to know. You're never alone. We'll always believe in you. Man, you may go, I've seen some people 
take a 180 turn for the worst. And you're like, oh my goodness, where are they going? But we're going to keep praying for you. We're going to keep helping you. We're going to keep loving you. If it, if it requires tough love, we'll give you tough love. But that's what love does. Now last week, we had somebody come up and give a testimony. Mitch and Angela about how God restored their family. And they got married last Sunday. And they're probably on their honeymoon right now. I don't know. They don't see them here today. And that's good. It, it's, it was heartwarming. It was touching. And part of their testimony is how the church, this family, has helped them through their transition, through, through the, as they've learned and grown, and helped as God led them down the path to being righteous for, for his name's sake. And today we've asked a couple of people to come up and to share what this church has meant to their life and what God has been able to use this family to do in their life. And so I've asked Daniel and Holly Piercy. Would you give them a big round of applause? Okay, I'm not good at talking in front of people, so I just write some stuff down. So I'll just read it, and then he can just talk because he's better at it than I am. <clears throat> As most of you know, um, the pretty much the main reason we even started coming here is because my mother-in-law was very involved with this church before she passed away. And um, then we got Megan and Tori when she did, and um, so they already had roots planted here, and when we decided that we wanted to start attending church as a family after she had passed away, we knew that um, with what life had just handed us, we would be lost if we didn't start turning to God more. So Daniel said we needed to try it out here because Meg and Tori were comfortable here, and they um, <clears throat> this church was always here for us even before um, I had ever been here. So. The first time we visited was on a Wednesday night, and then when we walked in, it had a much different feeling for me than anywhere I had attended before. Um, everyone was excited that we were here, and then since then, obviously, we've become way more involved, um, became members, and our lives have done a complete 360. I said, um, we have been blessed more than anything I could have ever imagined. Because of this church, I have a family now that I know that is genuine. We have people who have blessed us in more ways than I could ever imagine. And in this church, I know that I'm, if I'm going through something or someone in our family is going through something, I have an army of prayer warriors that have our backs and will pray with me and for me and my family. Because of this church, I get to listen to interesting, life-changing sermons that make me want to strive to be a better wife, mother, and Christian. Sorry, I feel like an idiot crying. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's. Um, I've wanted to make my relationship grow more with God since attending here, and because of our church, my kids have a place that they are loved and have fun while getting Jesus instilled in their lives. Because of this church, I have teenagers who are typical teenagers. Sorry, I can't even keep this going. This is so stupid. <laughs> I read it like a million times and didn't even tear up at home just to make sure. Um, I said our teenagers at home are great witnesses and walking testimonies for others because of what's going on in the youth rooms most days. Um, because of what... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I said, but what I love most about it here is because of this church, my marriage has grown stronger and my husband has um, men that are examples and that mentor him. I know that the love is real here and I know that if I had not started attending this church, my life would not be the same. God has changed me and my family since I've started attending this church and God has definitely changed my husband. And to me, that means everything. And then I just said, since um, we started coming here, God just keeps moving us forward and closer to him. Okay. Well, like she had said at first, it was my mom, but also my dad. We lost, I lost both my parents real quick within two years. And so... My mom was the last one, and that's where I got most of the responsibility put on me from, but losing my dad was probably the hardest part for me because it's always been me and him. The, taking care of the girls kind of is second nature because it's always been me and him taking care of the girls of our family. So, but then I lost my, hey, Dad, what do I do about this? Hey, what do I do when this happens? Or my my trucks running like that, you know, all the just stuff that comes at life that I haven't faced yet, who did I ask? My dad. But now I've got, it's like God gave, took one dude away and gave me 15 or 20, you know, <laughs> so it ain't that bad. And if I didn't come here, and this church is special. We was going to Life Fellowship, and we started serving there, but there I felt like I could still be who I wanted to during the week. I just didn't have that conviction really going. I felt comfortable and taught, like, you know, and you just can't feel that way. I didn't feel like I really had to be a witness anywhere but at church. And I come here, and it ain't because anybody pressured me or said, you can't live your life like that. And I just started serving here and seeing the examples around me, and I was like, man, I do, I got to change my life. So, and then I tried, and I was trying for a while anyways. Whenever my dad was sick, I fought it a lot to try and, because I thought it was something I was doing. I was going through these tests or something like that, and it wasn't. But as soon as I just quit thinking about myself, really, and started putting myself into the church and serving, and oh, one other thing was, you know, <clears throat> I was like, man, two teenage girls. <laughs> I was like, it's different. They're just my sisters. Now I got to worry about the boyfriends and all that. And I said, I'm only well, I just turned 31, but I was like 29. I'm like, I'm not old now. I don't have patience for that, Lord. And it just felt like the whole time God's telling me, yeah, you got patience for them two youth, and you're going to have a whole group of youth. You watch. And I'm like, oh, man. And then a couple weeks later, Pastor Guy called. He's like, man, what did you think about, uh, you know, sharing with the youth sometime? And I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I really had. I was like, yeah, I get Because all the time, my God was already dealing with me. like, you watch him. So, and it's gone from there, and then I got kind of comfortable in the youth, and I was like, you watch now, God's going to, I'm going to do the big service one time. And then a couple weeks later, the pastor was like, would you care about sharing your testimony in the big service? And I'm like, yeah, I got to do it, you know, I'm going to do it, yeah. Because I know that, I mean, it's never comfortable, it still is not even too comfortable getting up here, you know, and I get to teach in the jail and other places, and I'm still not just that comfortable. I'm kind of glad because there's no telling where he puts you next whenever you get in your country. <laughs> but he's going to pull you out of where you're comfortable every time and make you step up. And you'll be happy to do it whenever you're in that situation, though. It's good. 
And like the church, like pastor is already saying how, you know, there's power in being here. There's power in the prayer for sure. That's the, uh, cause I went, I grew up here going to this church pretty much from my son's age, nine years old, eight years old, all the way till now. But in between there, I went to the Air Force, and I probably was one of the one that everybody's seen do the 180 and shoot the other way for a while. But, and I didn't even know till the other day, Holly told me, and she was telling my little Megan, who's in the nursery, that just the prayers that was going out for me to come back and all that, and it works, because I couldn't tell you really much of why I just, I, you know, it wasn't much of me. It was if prayer and pulling and God pulling at my life and everything that's got me to the place I am now. And it ain't nothing I've done. It's this church family that I have to back me up and support me and all the prayer and God. And they've planted seeds in my life for a long time, like as long as I can remember now. And they're all coming for their, their faithfulness and God's faithfulness. I think that's it. Needless to say, we're super thrilled that you guys are here, and uh, we're still praying for, maybe you have children that's done the 180, and they're out there right now, well, we'll keep praying, you know, and you can come help us pray on Tuesday nights. We lift up all those, the kids that, that's been in our nursery and children's church throughout the years, and through our youth group, we're praying for them, we're keeping them lifted up. Uh, it's just sad that this world has such a pull on them, but they can come back, and we believe for that, and that's what a family does. They believe for one another. Well, let's talk about marriage again, the nucleus of a family. When you get married, what happens? Uh, the first thing they do is they share uh, vows. And when I think about vows, what's the one you think about? Honor and cherish. I think about the for better or the for worse part. <laughs> I think a lot of people just read over that one for when they got married. <laughs> they wanted to for better, but they didn't, they didn't think the for worse would ever get here. But we like the for better. We like to celebrate together. We like to cry happy tears, right? This Thursday, um, I found myself in my driveway duct taping my daughter's car back together. Now, early on, I had bought her, we had bought her about a $4,500 car or something. She had it for a year or so, and then she hit a deer on Bahalia Road, coming home from somewhere one night, totaled the car. Didn't have anything but liability, because if you've ever tried to pay insurance on a teenager, you understand why. So the car was gone. So me and her mama, we pitched in, and we was able to find her a, a nice little car for $2,500, you know, and got her back up and running again so she could get back and forth to work. I say a nice little car. Right after we got it, the engine went down. We had to spend $1,600 on the engine. But we made Kaylee pay us back for this car. So she's been paying diligently trying to get this car paid off. She gets it paid off a couple of weeks ago, and she's coming home from work Wednesday night on same Bahalia Road, this time in the city limits of Hernando, Mississippi, and guess what happens? It's another deer! <laughs> There's deer hair to prove it, don't I? She's not lying. 
We always look for the deer hairs. Um, but she got a headlight doing this number, and the grill's caved in. But this time, thank goodness, and there's no structural damage. Not didn't even damage. Didn't the airbag didn't deploy? I don't know how it didn't deploy. But the, just the plastic parts are all messed up. And so she's just, you know, beside herself. She wants to just cry and wail and weep. You know, what's, what's wrong? Why do I keep hitting deer? And, and you, you got to, it's like, hey, uh, teenager, it's called life. Get used to it. Life comes at you fast, you know. You're going to have duct tape moments. <laughs> and so I duct tape, I put her light back in. And as, I'm not kidding, as I'm duct taping this light back in and putting her grill back on, I get a text from Angie and I looked at it. She says, check out this Mustang. Angie loves Mustangs. And I look at it, and I just look at the picture real quick, and I said, yeah, yeah, I put it back in my pocket, and I'm duct taping, and while I'm duct taping, I'm thinking, you know, Angie loves Mustangs. Angie had a Mustang. Angie sold her Mustang partly so that I could take the pay cut needed to become a pastor. And so in the back of my mind, I've been thinking all along, I would sure like to get Angie another Mustang one day. God help me get Angie another Mustang. Because, fellas, your job in the marriage is to make your wife's dreams come true. This is, that was for free. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but really, if Angie asked for my heart on a platter, I would be looking for a knife and a way to cut my chest open so I could say, here, Angie, because I love her so much that I have found God is all in to blessing your spouse and making their dreams come true. Now, we're not real unrealistic or whatever. The Mustang that she was showing me is her dream Mustang, but it wasn't, wasn't that expensive. It's a six-cylinder. She don't care anything about an eight-cylinder. She, she just likes the way they look. What a GT or anything, but it's all decked out the way she likes it. The color, everything. She loved it. But she wasn't really expecting me to go get her a Mustang. I mean, she just shows me the picture because we share our hearts, you know. But I, I got thinking about it, and I said, it, the price on that thing ain't that bad. And, the, and she drove a jalopy for two years until that thing ran into the ground, and, and then we had to go get her a car note on this other little car, and uh, 2013, something or other. And, uh, but I got to look, and I said, if I talked them down right, we might could get close to an even trade on it. And so I called her, and I said, you want to go look at that Mustang? She's like, no, no, no way. You're, 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 you're being cruel. Don't say that to me. And I said, no, I said, let's pray about it. And so I went to lunch with my brother and came back, and I, I went over and got her. I said, let's go. So we went, talked them down. Everything worked out. We drove out of there with a new Mustang. Not a new Mustang, a 2013 Mustang, but the Mustang of her dreams. And I'm glad you're happy for her, you know, because some churches might say a pastor's wife don't deserve a Mustang. But I'm talking about what a, fa a real family does for one another. They're happy for one another. But the thing is, is when we drove it home, thank goodness the kids weren't there because we were concerned. <laughs> because we just got through duct taping my daughter's car together. And it's very possible that she could say, well, that's not fair. I, I got to drive a duct tape car. Mama gets a Mustang. And it's very possible my 15-year-old son could have said, well, I'm going to be 16 next year, and you're spending all money on Mama a car when I'm the one that's going to need a car. You know how teenagers think, right? It's very possible that it's going to be a blow-up when, when the kids see this car. Well, Josh was at a football game. Kaylee was at work. Me and Angie can't stay up late, so we was going to bed. We're in the bed asleep. 
and we, and we hear some commotion out in the garage. We can hear some screaming and hollering. We get up, put our pants on, and go out in the garage, and Kaylee's out there jumping. Mama, Mama, I can't believe it. Is this yours? I'm so excited. Oh, my goodness, Mama, this is just your, this is your dream. Is this really yours? And Josh is like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He's, he's almost speechless. I and he had been out in the garage. He got home before Kaylee. I didn't know it. He had been just staring at it for 30 minutes when Kaylee came home and opened the garage, and then they just started shouting. And I was, I was like, this is what family is supposed to do. I was so, I just sat out in the garage and just watched them. I was, that was the, probably the best family moment I've ever had. And Angie, she's all like, she's feeling guilty about having it, you know. <laughs> Don't feel guilty, baby. You've worked two jobs all this time. You have sacrificed for our family at every turn. You have sacrificed for this church like unbelievable. Working two jobs and being a pastor's wife. Ten jobs. You deserve that Mustang, sweetie. Thank you. <laughs> and it wasn't me that gave it to you. It was the Lord. So we celebrate with each other as a family. We cry happy tears together. It's part of doing life together. We share our hearts and our dreams you know, the things that you know are in you and you share it with one another. And they help you come to pass. And, and we love it when our family sacrifices for us. You got somebody to loan you that 10 bucks that you needed to get in the gate or whatever, you know. Or when you, you can't get home to cook the meal, somebody else does. Somebody takes out the garbage on your turn. Somebody sacrifices. Family does that. The world don't do that, you know. The people in the families in the world, that's all they got, you see. People who will forgive us when we make mistakes. The world doesn't do a lot of forgiving. You only have to, you, you, you may have somebody in your family that forgives you. Hopefully in this church, we have all those things. That's the, the for better part. Now let's talk about the for worse. <laughs> because life is real now. We're not exempt from the tribulation. Jesus said in this world, you should have tribulation. What about when there's nothing to celebrate? And when the tears that you're crying are not happy tears? When you want to do life together, but your schedule is all boggled up and the busyness of life and you can't even seem to make time to pass each other by in the night like two ships, you know. And, and when your dreams have been beat down and they don't seem like they're coming to pass and you don't even want to talk about them anymore. These things happen in life. Seasons, ebbs and flows of life. When there ain't much to celebrate, you're going through the worst. When a family member, what they confide in us is something that we really don't want to hear. Maybe we see a family member going through addiction of some sort. Or there's pain, emotional pain. There's a heartache, a heartbreak. <laughs> they, they've lost, you know... Uh, a spouse or a loved one or something. It's sickness and pain. Or you just got one of those knuckle-headed families and it seems like you're the only one doing the sacrificing. It's good, you remember when we talked about on the, on the better part, it's good when they do, somebody sacrifices for you, but what if you seem like the only one in the family doing any sacrificing? You're paying all the bills, you're coming home cooking and cleaning, and they're just acting like knuckleheads and not giving to the family. 
Would you believe stuff like that happens even in the church? They say in the church in general, not in this church certainly, or we wouldn't have this nice a facility with the amount of people we got, but they say only 20% of the church in America ties. That means only 20% are given to keep the lights on and the rest are not doing their share. And it's the same way with, with working and, and doing things within the church, you know, keeping uh, the different organizations staffed and cleaning the church. <laughs> you got, you know, just a small percentage of the overall do all the work and some just come in and complain about how the pastor preaches. <laughs> Thank goodness we're not a church like that. But there are, we will face things like that. That's just part of it. And it seems like we're the only ones carrying the load sometimes. But, and then what about when, a, when somebody dies in the family? You know, part of the circle of life is you, you have baby showers, you have weddings, but you're going to have some funerals. And sometimes somebody that you love so dearly is going to pass from this earth. It's going to leave a void in your heart. You're going to need family to come alongside. God forbid you should be a part of a family that somebody passes and everybody's just arguing over who gets the stuff. You need a true family. You need, you need a true loving family. Who, whoever wrote that into the marriage vows, for better or for worse, man, they need a gold star. That was somebody who had walked this thing called life. And I'd understood that there's going to be a for worse. There's going to be times where you, you just get your heart broken in the family. But in the end, families fight for each other. They may fight each other like me and my brother did. He accused me of giving him Dane Bramage one time, you know. <laughs> I smacked him in the head and he, he pulled a ruse on me at like eight years old. He's like... Uh, God, uh, you, you gave me Dane Bramage. <laughs> I believed him, and I was like, Heath, are you all right? And th then he smacked me good, you know. <laughs> Families learn to forgive. Or you don't stay families. Are you hearing me? Family members learn to forgive, or you don't stay families. If you're holding something against somebody and they're no longer part of my family, I would encourage you to do like Jesus. Say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and you just forgive them, if nothing else, for your own sake. But most of the time, the things that we, we hold on to unforgiveness, the things we're quibbling about, they really don't, you can't even remember what it was a couple months later, but you're still holding on to it. And you just let the, that unsettle you. Families learn to survive the fiascos in life and laugh. My mom, God bless her. One time she got a bonus. I was probably about 11 or 12 years old. My brother was five or six. She said, we're going down to Florida for a vacation. She had an old yellow Buick Century like Kojak used to drive. <laughs> Raggedy old car. I don't know what got into her, but she decided we was going to get there fast. She, she had put in her mind how many hours this was going to take, and we was going to get there. We were driving 90 miles an hour down 55. 
And I don't think we had seat belts on. This was like 40 years ago. Me and Heath was sitting in the back, you know, fighting and stuff. And, and it was loud because all four windows was down because we didn't have air conditioning. And Mama was just driving. And finally, my little brother, Heath, says, Mama, I got to go to the bathroom. And she said, one or two? He said, one. She gave him an empty Coke bottle. <laughs> now, right there, I knew that was a bad idea. Because I had seen the boy stand on one side of Arca Butler and pee to the other side of Arca Butler. He had tremendous back pressure. And I knew that was a mistake. And sure enough, before you know it, it was like a fire hose going off in the car. Let me just say it like this. Things got out of hand. And it was like a yellow storm in the place. And before Mama could wobble the car off of the side of the road and get out and go back there going to beat him, she just started laughing. <laughs> because it, the headliner was just dripping. And we were all covered. True story. Family life gets messy. It gets yucky. I'm not kidding. Hey, and church family is no different. Church family is the same way. Sometimes it's going to get yucky and messy. One time we had a, a Valentine's dinner at the old church when I first started going there, and it was for leadership or something, and their wives, and, and they had taken this little room, and, and they had put cloth, you know, tablecloths, and fixed it up, had these oil-burning lanterns for ambiance in the place, and they had some person uh, come in there and speak on marriage, some romantic little message, and we ate a nice meal, and we was all looking at each other over in that, that uh, lantern lighting and thinking how beautiful we were. When it got ready, time to go, they cut on the light so we could all say goodbye to each other. And the soot from those oil-burning lanterns was all in every crack in our face. We looked like the walking dead. And we said... <laughs> and then we were looking, everybody's looking in the mirror at their own self. We were all covered. Our clothes was covered. We could have got mad, but what you going to do? You just laugh it off. Fiasco's happen. Wasn't so romantic anymore. And then, of course, back in them days, you know, that was the big hair days. That was 20 years ago. They would, they would have the bouffants and they'd have the curls and the perms and everything and the women would always fix themselves up nice, have their makeup just right. When they came to church, they was all decked out in their best Sunday go to meet and clothes and I was used to that. But then they called a Saturday morning work day at the church, early in the morning. So I got there and here comes them same women in there for work day, and they got their pajama pants on, hadn't touched their hairs, doing like this, and no makeup on. I'm like, ah! What in the world? Who are these people? Hey, sometimes in a family, you got to take the mask off, you know? It gets real. I was used to the fellows, you know, but... <laughs> it can be scary when you realize that we're all just people. When the pastor yells at his kids too. You know, if you've ever seen me back when I talked to youth and my big mouth daughter Kaylee was in the youth room, you would have, you'd say, he, he's not pastor material. <laughs> well, we'd have it out back there, you know. 
And I'm sure you got it rough back there with your two younger sisters back there. You're, you're much more mild-mannered and better able to handle it than I am. But anyway, that just goes to show you there's no big eyes and little U's in the body of Christ. We're all just people. We all struggle. Pastors struggle probably more than the rest of you, you know. But anyway, <clears throat> it's good that we learn we're just people. We can bear with one another. And then we can get in there and say, hey, I don't have to be fixed up to go to this or that or whatever. I can just be myself. I don't have to put on a mask. I can be myself, and we can, we can both put our hand on the plow, and we can work together as a team. And they're not thinking less of me, and I'm not thinking less of them. It's just who we are, and this is what we do. We do life together. There was once a little family from Nazareth brought their kid to Jerusalem for the Passover. They went to leave and go back home, realized they'd lost their kid in a city of about a million people. So they go back to Jerusalem. They're looking for this kid for three days. Where can you? Now, I'm serious. How many mothers can feel the panic right now of thinking you lost your kid in a city of a million people and you're looking for three days and can't find hide nor hair of him? And you can imagine her dilemma. She's like, God, I've lost your son. It must have been a tremendous pressure on her. Thank goodness she found him in the temple. But then, 20, 21, 22 years later, they went back to Jerusalem. Passover again. Then, this time she lost her son on our cross. She watched him die. As the Passover lamb. And I'm going to tell you what blood matters. The only blood that matters in the family is the blood of Jesus. That's the only blood that matters. It's the only blood that's going to put you into an eternal family. And it's the blood that you need to be telling your earthly family about. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.